47 verses 6 through 9 and he said unto me son of man has thou seen this then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river now when I had returned behold at the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other these trees represent people it's prophecy then he said unto me these waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert the water is far the desert. What we have here is far a dry and thirsty land. It's not just for these walls or what happens in this building. It's far a dry land. And they go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the water shall be healed. Now notice this. If you know anything about this passage, this river flowed into the Dead Sea. And when it flowed into the Dead Sea, Nothing can live in the Dead Sea because there was too much salt, right? So when the river flowed into the Dead Sea, miraculously, things started coming alive. You know what I read this week? I read an article that said the Dead Sea is actually coming alive right now. It said this. It said that fresh water is now flowing into the Rift Valley expanse that has been unable to support life since the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah thousands of years ago. And now freshwater fish are seen swimming in the surrounding sinkholes that have opened in the recent years as the sea made up of 33% salt has been receding and fresh water has been increasing. I think that's prophecy. Come on, there are things that we thought were dead that are getting ready to live because there's a river that flows. There's a river that flows. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall live. Whatever the river touches shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed. And everything shall live. Whither? What a word. The river cometh. Wherever the river goes, whatever it touches. It will live. Ezekiel saw the water as it flowed and became a mighty river and brought life, healing, and deliverance to a dry and thirsty land. Can anybody testify today that you're alive because there's a river in Tickfall? Come on, I'm going to ask you again. Can anybody testify that you're alive and I'm alive because there's a river that flows Tickfall? God, thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your power. Thank you for this great group of people. God, help me to preach your word the way you want it preached, to say what you want said. In the name that's above every other name, we ask it to be done. Somebody shout in Jesus' name. Give the Lord one more hand. Have a praise. You may be seated. I want to preach to you today. There is a river. There is a river. Rivers, bayous, and watering holes play a, uh, play a big part in our culture in Louisiana. Why? Because it's usually hot around here. Now, you wouldn't be able to tell that today. Woke up this morning, it's freezing outside. But it's usually hot in Louisiana. 
And one of the most relaxing things to do to beat the heat is to enjoy the water. It's almost a magical feeling when you step into a cold body of water during the Louisiana heat, finding a good swimming hole, kicking your shoes off, and forgetting about life's cares is rejuvenating and refreshing. Now, I'm not a big fan of water, really not. Not going to catch me on the river too much or by the river. If you ask me to go fishing, I'm probably out. I'll probably tell you, yeah, let's go. And then when you comes time for us to go, I'll make an excuse why I can't go. I'm not a big fan of the water. But when I was growing up, there was a place that my friends and I would go. It was a swimming hole at the river. It had a swing. It had a high uh, a tree that you could jump off of with a platform. And it's a place that I'll always remember. It was refreshing. It helped shape my childhood. I'm telling you, it's absolutely an amazing place. I, I thought it was called the Purvis Hole, but I don't know if it's called the Purpose Hole. Whatever it was, it was a swimming hole. And that's where we went. I got some friends here that could testify that place right now. It was a place where life slowed down for a moment. It was a place where friendships grew and laughter intensified and memories were created. It was a special place. From my childhood, there was a river. And God spoke to me that this is going to be a place similar to that. A place of restoration, healing, and abundance. A watering hole for many who are tired and weary. A place where life slows down for people. Relationships are built. Memories are made. And the anointing flows. And much like David, long for a drink from the well of Beth Bethlehem. People will come from all over just to feel and see what God is doing at this river. This is a place where the sick are going to be healed. Scattered sheep are going to be brought back into the fold. Shattered lives will be put back together again. Marriages will be restored. Families reunited. This will be a place, a river that will help change lives. When we are sick, sad, hurt, and confused, we will be able to retreat to this river. And here at the river, our thirst for peace and for certainty and for security, for renewing and for joy will be satisfied. Now I want somebody to shout, there is a river. There is a river. There's a river for my life. When I don't know where, where to go or what to do, there is a river. When I'm broken and beat down, there is a river. When I don't know who to turn to, there is a river. There is a river today. Revival in the Bible has always been compared to water coming to a dry and thirsty land and there's no doubt that our world right now looks like a dry thirsty land but I feel Isaiah 43 and 19 in this place behold I will do a new thing tap your neighbor said he's doing a new thing now shall it spring forth shall you not know it I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God has prophetically and strategically placed a river in Tikbal in the middle of a desert. A place where people can come and find hope and life and restoration. There is a river today. When there seems to be no way, there's a river. When there seems to be no hope, there is a river. When there seems to be no present joy, there is a river. Come on, somebody. 
when you seem to have no strength left, there is a river. There's a river that, that sprang up in Tickfall, Louisiana. And we need to throw a dance party today. In the middle of a desert, somebody needs to break out and say, hey, it may be dry all around me, but I'm in the middle of the river. Come on, we can stand in the middle of a desert and say, I've got to dance because there's a river that flows through my life. I bring anointing everywhere I go. I bring power everywhere I go. Everywhere I go, I'm an extension of joy and peace. There's a river. Anyone glad that there is a river in the middle of a pandemic, economic crisis, war, and rumors of war? I love what the psalmist said in Psalms 46, 1 through 4. God is our refuge and our strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will we not fear, though the earth do change, and though the mountains be shaken to the heart of the seas, Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains tremble with the swelling thereof, Salah, you know what that word Salah means? Pause and consider all of this. All of this stuff happening. Seas rumbling, mountains shaking, everything going on around us. Pause and consider all of this. But watch verse 4. There is a river. Consider everything going wrong in our world. All the trouble, all the heartache, and all the pain. He said, pause and consider all of that. But in verse 4, he says, then realize there is a, a river. And the streams whereof make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Verse 4 paints a picture which is easy for us to miss. The city of God is Jerusalem. And while it was a very beautiful city, it did not have a river running through it like the other major cities and countries of that day had. Babylon was built on the Euphrates. Egypt had the Nile. Rome had the Tiber. The Quad Cities had has the Mississippi and the Rock. But Jerusalem had no physical river, but it had something better than a physical river. It had the river, the flowing presence of God that ran through the center of Jerusalem. <laughs> Hear me today. Biblically, God has always intended for there to be a river. From Genesis all the way to the book of Revelations. The last chapter of the book, of the last book of the Bible. When it is talking about a new heaven and a new earth. Listen to what it says. Revelations 22, 1 through 2. And he showed me a river. He showed me a river of water of life. Bright as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street thereof and on the side of the river and on that and on that was the tree of life, bearing twelve manner of fruits, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. That same river that was spoken of in Psalms 46 and Ezekiel 47 is also spoken of in the book of Revelation. So I want you to tap your neighbor and say, there's supposed to be a river. There is supposed to be a river. Where the streams whereof make glad the city of God. For Naaman, there was a river where his leprosy was healed. For Jochebed, there was a river when she said, I can't keep Moses anymore. I've got to trust him to you, God. And she put him in the river. And God took the current of that river and led that baby where he wanted that baby to go. 
for Jesus there was a river that introduced his ministry behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world and for Josh Payne and my family there was a river that the streams whereof made glad the city of God I was thinking about it today I was thinking about these rivers in Ezekiel 47 and Psalms 46 and Revelations 22 I was thinking about the river of Naaman that he he river of Jordan that he he dipped in for name and it was the river for his life I was thinking about Jochebed and Jesus and I was thinking about my life and I went back in my mind and I thought I thought in my mind about the early 1930s when a young woman named sister Nettie Mae Hart got a burden for this community and began holding church services at an old brush harbor and there she established a church led by the Spirit of God driven by faith and liberated to worship the river started there the name of the church at the time was the faith and victory Pentecostal holiness church try to build a church logo for that the church grew and started impacting this community so they purchased two acres and a building in 1934 then in 1968 the name would be changed to the assembly of Little River United Pentecostal Church I never knew why, but someone in this community told me that there used to be a train depot on this property called Little River Train Depot. Because if you look around, I mean, there's no river running through here right now. We're like Jerusalem. (laughs) And that may be why, it may be because of this this train depot but I genuinely believe the name was spiritual because Little River Church became a river of hope salvation and healing for many somebody shout there is a river there is a river there is a river look and this river will continue to grow until eventually a new building was built look at the growth right there and then they started they started building the building that is the student center Little River went through a series of pastors who helped lead us to where we are today, and I'm grateful. But then God sent a man, Pastor C.A. Spice. And his beautiful wife. And his children. One of them is my favorite, Brother Jeremy. I love you. (laughs) They came here in September of 1990 where he served for 28 years building a legacy that will never be forgotten. Look at Brother Frankie. Get him, Brother Spike. Sick him, Blue. Under his leadership, we saw an unprecedented revival, miracle signs, wonders, revival, and vision. This building was built in 1998 that you, that you sit in right now. Look at that. We was having church before we ever got sheetrock on the wall. Then an additional 7.93 acres was purchased on October the 25th, 2001. And we will never forget, you hear me, we will never forget C.A. Spikes. As long as I'm here, our past will be celebrated. C.A. Spikes made sure there was a river in Tickfall. And we witnessed miracles, signs, wonders. We witnessed hundred soul revivals where people were filled and baptized in Jesus' name. 
CA spikes passed to his heavenly estate in 2012. But we've continued to build on the foundation he helped lay. Because the best way to honor the past is for it to lead to something greater. And it has. I've been here for 10 years. And I'm asking a question today. Not because of me, but I want to show you what God has done with the vision of C.A. Spikes and those men that came before him, Homer Hill and all those men that came before him. If you've came to this church in the last 10 years, I want you to stand. In the last 10 years, if you, if you become a member of this church in the last 10 years, stand. Hurry up, stand, stand. Don't be shy. If you've come to this church in the last 10 years, I want you to stand. Come on, somebody, you know why? Because we're not going to stop. And if I'm not the pastor 10 years from now, I'm hoping to be, there's going to be more people and more people. Because the river's got to keep growing. It's got to keep moving. Maybe seated. There's a river. We will not stop bringing life and hope to this community. Early in the pandemic, God, God had my undivided attention and began to speak clearly to my heart in prayer. And I say that cautiously and with reverence, but it was clear. I was praying for Little River. I was. I wasn't looking to change the name of Little River. I wasn't looking to go to the river. I was praying for Little River. And God spoke to me one day. He said, when are you going to stop putting limitations on the river? I said, what? Who? Who? Jesus? That you? Caught me off guard. So I got my Bible out and began to read about the importance of wording and names. There's power in naming. A name provides clarity and identity. A name highlights significant characteristics. A name entrusts power and responsibility. A name entrusts life. The word little means small inside. Well, that's Revelation, ain't it? Not big. Look, there's another one. Not large. Tiny. Not extensive. Brief. Shallow. We even witnessed one of the times Jesus used the word little and when he told the disciples that he was disappointed at how fearful they were during a storm, he defined their faith as little faith. And I got to thinking, I was like, God, I don't want to mislead, mislead people, and I surely don't want to limit you. And it hit me. The word little gives the wrong impression of what God is doing at this fantastic place. So I felt a transition in my spirit, and God quickened me of the scripture. Whoever can be trusted with the little can also be trusted with the much. I've come to tell you, we did everything we could with what we had. It may have been Little River, but God said, I'm going to make you into the river. We were faithful with the little. We saw unprecedented growth and revival. And I want you to show, I want to show you real quick what God is doing.
Come on, I love my river. I love my river. I lo we need to thank God for what he's doing. I love my river. We're not going to stop. We're going to continue to push, grow. Come on, there is a river. I don't know where I would be if there wasn't a river. There is a, a river. Maybe seated. I won't preach much longer. God took me after he began to drop all this in my sphere, what he was going to do. He took me to Ezekiel 47 because I told him, God, I'm not. I will not embark on this journey unless you give me scripture. And he took me to the prophet Ezekiel who was given a vision while he was in exile in Babylon of a river that springs forth from God's throne and flows through the house of God. Listen, we are not going to get water flowing down the streets of our communities, bringing life where there is death until it begins to flow down the aisles of our church. One thing is to be called the river, but does the river really flow here? If God's presence doesn't show up among his people, how will it ever show up in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our homes? It starts with us. And the reason our culture is drying up is because there's no spiritual water flowing out of the sanctuary into the world. This river of living water coming from the throne of God represents the working of the Holy Spirit. It begins small. And then all of a sudden, it drastically and dramatically begins to increase in depth every third of a mile. You can't get where God wants you to go by just treading in shallow water. Listen, cotton candy's sweet. How many of you like cotton candy? You can go to a fair, a carnival. You go to a sporting event, you can get you some cotton candy. You know why it's tasty? Because it's pretty much just pure sugar. It's light and fl fluffy texture disappears quickly as it melts in your mouth or even your hand and you're left with nothing at all but blue or pink or red lips and all over your hands. Some folks come to church hoping to get some spiritual cotton candy. They want a quick, sweet taste and they want to say they got something. But sometimes it's just fluff that disappears quickly. We need spiritual substance and long-term change. We don't need a church that acts like a carnival or a fair. This is the house of God. And the river, there's got to be depth here. Listen, he's not looking for surface-level followers. He doesn't want a little bit of worship. He wants our lives submerged in worship. He wants people who are swimming in his depth. And the deeper he went in the river, Ezekiel noticed three things. Number one, it got deeper. It was ankle deep, waist deep, and then water's deep enough to swim in. Water's ankle deep. What does that mean? If you're going to get ankle deep, you've got to get a consistent walk in your life. If you're going to get knee deep, you've got to have a consistent prayer life. If you're going to get uh, water up to your loins, then you've got to have a consistent witness. You've got to tell people about the goodness of God. But if you're going to have waters to swim in, you've got to stop trusting your own logic, and you've got to dive in. You've got to get in over your head. Listen, when you get waters to swim in, that means that you're no longer in control. You're not trying to figure it all out. You're getting caught up in the Holy Spirit and you're saying, God, I trust you. I want to be led uh, by your spirit. When you go this deep, you depend fully on God. If you've ever stood in a real water, a real river, then you understand that there's a current that goes with that river. And you go wherever the current goes. The current constrains you, it pulls you, and it guides you. And that's what the river has to be. 
So even if you start to go in the wrong direction and you come to the river, conviction begins to pull you back and say, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't, don't head that direction. This isn't a place that's going to make you feel good every Sunday. It should be a place that tells you there's a warning. Don't go there. There should be a current that constrains and pulls and leads and say, don't go there. Don't, did you do that? It's going to mess you up. Listen, there's a current. There's a current. This place should be led by the Spirit. Romans 8 and 5, for those that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But those that are after the Spirit mind the things of the Spirit. I want to be after the Spirit. I want the flow of the current of God. I want this to be a common saying around the river. What is the Spirit saying to the church? Not what is your opinion saying. Not what is Josh Payne's opinion saying. What is the Spirit saying unto the church? Because if we want depth, it's got to be spiritual. You know what? If we want depth, we got to continue to pray for one another in church service. If we come in here and just sit in our pews or sit in our chairs or sit in our rows and we go home, the Holy Spirit isn't moving like it should. We're a body of believers. When somebody's down, we pray for them. And we allow the Spirit of God to begin to move. Second thing that Ezekiel notices is it gets more powerful. It gets deeper, then it gets more powerful. More powerful than the depth of the Dead Sea. This river is so powerful that when it flows into the Dead Sea, sick folks all of a sudden begin to be healed. Depressed folks receive joy. Addicted folks receive deliverance. The water from the river is stronger than the bondage that has people bound. The water that's at the river is stronger than sickness and disease and hurt and pain. It's powerful. The third thing, it gets more abundant. An abundance of fish and greater fruit along the riverbanks. If we dive in, souls are going to be added to the kingdom. Listen, it's been a river for me, but it's going to be a river for others. The deeper we get in this river, do you know what's going to happen? More people is going to start coming in. If you're not comfortable with people, this isn't the church for you. If you don't love souls and you don't love people, this isn't the church for you. There's a thousand other good churches that you can go and be a part of. Because the culture here is going to be, we're going to be soul winners. We're going to be disciple makers. We're going to love people. We're going to be positive. We're not going to be negative. We're going to pray for people. We're going to encourage people. We're going to believe in people. Why is that important? Amos 9 and 13. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. Amos saw a year around harvest. Someone shout something new. God was doing a new thing and he showed Amos. He said, look. There's not going to be harvest seasons. There's going to be a year-around harvest. Reapers are going to have to watch out because the plowmen are going to be on their heels. When they're done with one harvest, there's going to be another harvest. And when that harvest is open, there's going to be another harvest. We got time to play games. I don't have time to play games. Hell's enlarging herself daily. People are dying lost daily. The church don't, doesn't have time to play games and just dabble in the shallow end of the river. We got to dive in and say, you know what? We want souls to be added to the kingdom. We need every hand. We need every heart doing their part. Because here's what Jesus said. He said, we don't have a harvest problem. We have a laborer problem. Matthew 9 and 37. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. What I told Amos is real, but the workers, few. Jesus said, look at the spiritual condition of the people. 
They didn't have any spiritual guidance. They were sheep without a shepherd. There was no disciple makers. There was no witnesses. There was no people to love them or teach them the word of God. And there was a need for spiritual workers. So Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Please, before you do anything else, please pray that people will dive into the kingdom of God and start becoming disciple makers and soul winners and and telling people about the goodness of God. And the Holy Spirit quickened me. He said, as much as you love the river, it dries up and leaves the day people become too busy to serve, too carnal to pray, and too negative to build. When people show up here and they become consumers and not investors, the river's going to dry up. There'll be a building here. There'll be a church. But when we stop making this about souls and we stop investing in the kingdom and we stop making sure that there's a river here for people that came in today, you don't know what somebody came in here battling today. You don't know the struggle that they walked in here with today. Somebody here today, somebody here today probably walked in and they're, they're on the verge of suicide. And they came here today looking for somebody with a smile and a loving arm to say, Jesus loves you. If we come here for just to be a consumer and not an investor, people doesn't experience the river that is meant to flow through this place. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. That's what he said. That's what he said. You can't just show up here, take, 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 and expect there to be a river one day. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his bellies, out of his heart, shall flow a river of living water. So if you take everybody in this building and they become consumers and they take, they become a spiritual pond that is poured into but never deposits out, then you know what happens? Stagnation, staleness. Flies start hovering in here. Buzzards start circling around the building. Because the Bible says it's out of my belly that a river flows of living water. So every time I come here and preach, there's a river. Every time that I come and put on a serve tag and I'm a greeter, every time a sound man runs sound or runs media, every time somebody comes in here and makes sure there's parking, there's a river that is flowing. It's not a pond. It's not stagnant. It's not stale. There is a river. Zacharias said on that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem. That's the upper room. Remember, the river flows from Jerusalem. I studied that out, and I found this out. The river flows from the throne of God. It flowed through an upper room at Jerusalem. It filled 120 that filled 3,000. It flowed all the way through the book of Acts, and it flowed all the way to the river in 2022. And we've got a choice today. Do we, do we dam up the river? Some of y'all got nervous when I said dam up. Do we barricade it or do we show up today and say, who can I let experience the river that flows through my life? Is there one person today that I can reach out and say, there's a river that flows through my life? Listen, I'm hurrying. Our theme and our vision is experience, connect, and power. We want you to come and experience God in a real way. We want you to come and connect to the body. But we want you empowered because the all is multiplied in the outpouring. And they say that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's not what Ezekiel 47 was saying. Ezekiel 47 was saying that if you can get everybody to do something in the kingdom of God, there can be growth that will blow your mind. 
want you to look at your neighbor and say, God wants to use your hands. God wants to use your feet. God wants to use your smile. God wants to use you. Each person becomes like that one uniquely crafted snowflake that quickly lands on the peak of the Andes mountain range. When the temperatures rise, those individual flakes melt, forming tiny rivulets. And those tiny rivulets merge together to feed small streams. And those small streams feed larger streams. And those larger streams flow into the largest river in the world, the Amazon River. The Amazon didn't start as the largest river in the world. It started as one snowflake. Yet it releases the largest volume of water into the ocean of any other river on earth. The force and volume of the Amazon is so strong that its fresh water flow pushes back the salty ocean waters of the Atlantic for about 250 miles. It is said to even change the color of the Atlantic Ocean water in an area covering nearly 1 million square miles. And it started with one individual snowflake. Your influence is vital to the kingdom of God. If we can get one person and one person and one person and one person operating in the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden darkness will start being pushed back. But here's the problem. We got the same problem that they had in John chapter 13. Just a few hours before Jesus' arrest and less than a day before his crucifixion. They go to this upper room to eat the last supper. You know what they're arguing over? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? The Savior's about to die. And y'all wondering who the greatest is. And y'all don't even realize that when they crucify him, all of y'all is going to be running away from him and not toward him. And y'all want to know who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine Jesus, how frustrated he is? Three and a half years of investing in these, these, these people. Almost called them knotheads. Three and a half years of pouring his life into them, talking about the kingdom and being the least and being the last and being a servant. And he walks into the Last Supper and they're sitting around the table arguing and bickering about who's the greatest. Each one of them walked by the towel and the water basin to get to the table. Each one of them thought they were too great. Each one of them didn't even pay attention. You know why? Because in those days, if you went to somebody's house and eat to eat, washing, having your feet washed was not an option because they wore sandals back then. They didn't have Nikes like this, like me and Brother Brian's got on. They had sandals. They were Reeboks. <laughs> and by the time they got to the place they were going to eat, they, they'd walk down these dirt roads to where there was literally animal dung, dirt, mud, and they get to the place to eat. And when they got there, the least of the least, the least servant of that house would take their sandals off, would kneel down, would pour water into a basin, and take that dirty foot of that person 
that had walked miles through things that nobody could ever imagine. And that least servant of that house would begin to wash the mud and the dirt and the debris off of that individual. These 12 followers never even acknowledged the basin or the pitcher. They never acknowledged the towel that was sitting by the door because they thought their calling was greater than being a servant. And Jesus looks at him, and I can see him looking like, that's how I'd look at him. And Jesus walks over. He gets the towel, and he gets the pitcher, and he gets the basin, and he kneels down, and one by one, he starts taking their sandals off, saying, man, I know life's been tough on you. I know it's been rough, and it's going to get rougher, but let me wash your feet. And Simon Peter, oh, no, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus just looked at him. All talk, boy, all talk. You're just making a scene in front of all these people because if you really had the heart of a servant and you really didn't want me to wash your feet, when you came in this place, you wouldn't have walked by the basin and the towel and the pitcher. But instead, you went and sat down. So let me become the least servant of this. Out of all 12, let me become the least. And he begins to wash their feet. And he begins to teach them a lesson about service too. He said, let me teach y'all something about the kingdom of God. He said, you got to get this principle. He said, every one of you that wants to become anything in the kingdom of God, you got to know how to be treated like a servant. you got to know how to serve, and you got to know how to wash. I don't care how good you can preach, Simon Peter. I want to know, can you wash people's feet that have struggled? There are some people that have walked in here today. You have picked up the hurt of life and the pain of life and the struggle of life. And you walked into this place and somebody with a badge said, let me, let me get a picture and help you today. Come a little closer. Let me tell you, God's got something in store. We got to get to a place to where it's about the towel. The basin. We got to get to a place. And Jesus taught them something that day. He taught them that it's greater to serve than it is even to be a master. The greatest among them is not about a title. It's about a towel because everything else is empty if we don't know how to be a servant. Jesus knew a culture of selfishness, pride, and ego would dry up the river. He knew, he knew if these 12 didn't understand how to serve, there wouldn't be a river. He understood that if these 12 didn't understand how to let there be a flow, there wouldn't be a river. He understood that if somebody didn't show up to cook for revival on Thursday night, somebody didn't show up to do music, and somebody didn't show up to love people, that the river would stop. Nobody's going to come. If there's nobody to serve, there's got to be a culture of serving others. There's got to be a culture. So next time you walk into this place, and you walk by the pitcher in the basin, Say, I'm just going to take, 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 and not give, give, give. Realize that if everybody in here got that mentality, there would be no river that flows through this place today. The river would leave here. If there's not a culture of serving, the river would be, leave here. If there, was no, if there was no last supper where Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, would there ever been an upper room? Would there ever have been an outpouring? Because it starts with somebody that says, let me help you today. Let me help you understand today. Musicians, you can come. I mean, let me serve you today. Let me cook you a meal. 
before service, I won't say her name, I don't want to embarrass her, before service, one of our ladies come up to me and said, Pastor, we're cooking a big meal today and we're bringing it to Brother Kenny Smith and them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Singers and musicians and ushers and greeters was here early this morning with a basin. Thank you. We've had hospital, people go on hospital visitations this week. We've had people call Sister Nutter every week. Her and a team calls people that have missed. Hey, we miss you. We want to know, are you okay? Is everything all right? Sister Nutter, thank you for caring. It can't be a me culture. It's got to be a we culture. And let me tell you this, and I'm, I'm done. I'm going to tell you this story, and I'm through, because I've got, I've got to tell you what God has laid on my heart. God is pleased with the river that's flowing through here. We've seen hundreds baptized, healed, restored, redeemed, set free. We've seen growth. But you think this, I love my river, is just hype today? It's not, because I understand what Jesus understood. If we stop having a serve culture here, the river stops flowing. To our elders, our ladies that pray on Tuesday night, that's what they do. Every Tuesday night, they bring, they bring the basin with the water in, and they pray for prodigals and lost souls and backsliders and the hurting. Why don't you join that prayer team? I tell you, they could teach you some stuff. And this is what I love. And I'm not being rude, I'm just being honest. Well, if the preacher comes up to me and asks me to do something, I'll do it. I'm asking you today. I'm asking you to take a picture. I'm asking you to find a need and a place, and I'm asking you to let the river flow through you. Because you're more powerful than you thought you were. You're more anointed than you could ever imagine. You are somebody. You're not a nobody. God has destiny for your life. There's divine purpose. You have a divine handprint on your life that says there's purpose and anointing and calling. Brother Will, I can't take credit for this story. Scott Graham and Jensen Franklin told it. Seventeen sixty-three, on the Mississippi River, there was a town founded and established by French settlers, thirty-two miles northeast of Natchez, Mississippi, on the Mississippi River. They called it the Little Gulf to separate it from the larger port town of Grand Gulf. After a few years, the British occupied the settlement during the French and Indian War. But at the end of the 18th century, the colonial power of Spain in the region was fading. And in 1798, the Spanish crown sold the land around the current town to wealthy landowner Thomas Calvin. And in 1814, the name of the settlement was changed to Rodney in order to honor the territorial judge, famous American lawyer and politician from that era, Thomas Rodney. In those days, the settlements along the Mississippi River were growing, and Rodney, Mississippi flourished. It immediately grew into a significant, bustling river town, mainly because of its port, 
is toward a strategic position. As a matter of fact, by the mid-1800s, a man named Dr. Rush had developed a petite gulf cotton, a hybrid seed on his land, and this seed produced more yields and helped make Mississippi the nation's top cotton-producing state. Rodney, Mississippi was responsible for bringing much of the agricultural prosperity to the South. It all started there. Once Rodney was the same in the same league as Natchez and Vicksburg. In fact, at one point, the town was only three votes away from becoming the capital of Mississippi. Being the state capital. Can you imagine that? State capital of Mississippi. Rodney, Mississippi. Rodney was famed for its vibrant culture, numerous fairs, and noisy trade activity at its peak. It became the home of more than 4,000 residents, and by 1860, it had two banks, doctors, barbers, dentists, more than 35 stores, and bakers, many hotels, saloons, and riverboat taverns, tinsmiths, and wagon makers. Rodney was also famed for its cultural life. It even was the site of the first opera house in the state of Mississippi. The citizens of Rodney were well-educated, and the literacy rate was extremely high. There were two newspapers as well as several schools and four churches. Rodney was a cultural and economic center for the state. Its developed riverboat dock was a crossroads in Mississippi River trading. As a result, it became one of the busiest ports in America. However, something happened, something that nobody could foresee. The Mississippi River over the years began to change courses, forcing the mighty Mississippi to move two miles west of Rodney. When it moved two miles west of Rodney, they lost their river port. Its whole commerce and prosperity were built around the accessibility and activity of the river. But when the river went in the opposite direction, the town began to die and wither away. And today, if you Google it, it will talk about one of the most prominent cities America ever had in its early history that became a ghost town. And if you go there today, you'll find that there's one road in Rodney, one road out of Rodney. And all that was prosperous there is gone. There's no kids in the streets. There's nobody there. There's no life. Everything is dead. All there is is a caved-in, decaying Presbyterian church. There's no children. There's no family. families. There's no homes. There's nothing but silent structures with crumbling echoes of what used to be. Why? Because it all left when the river left. When there was no more river, the community began to die and wither away. And God spoke to me and said, if the river ever leaves Tick Falls, it's going to impact more than this, just this church. It's going to impact this community. If the river leaves, then everything leaves with it. But here's what gets me. How did this happen? An engineer did a study. And this is what he found out. He found out that there was a buildup of debris. And over time, so much silt and so much debris filled in and began to obstruct the flow of the river. It didn't happen overnight. Little by little, silt and debris began to build a sandbar that altered the course of the river. You know what he said? If somebody would have went out there when it was small and got a shovel and removed the silt and debris, there would still be a river in Rodney today. Because the river always flows the path of least resistance. 
And if we keep resisting what God wants to do in our life, eventually the river's going to move on to something else. And if the Bible says out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water, but we got all this built up in it, the river's going to change course. I don't want the river to change course. I want there to be a river in Tickfall, Louisiana. I want there to be a river out of my belly. I don't want it to be obstructed. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river.